Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Sermons Podcast. My name's Stuart, I'm the Minister at St Ninian's in Stonehouse, which is in Scotland. We are a local ecumenical partnership between the Church of Scotland and the United Reformed Church and that means we reflect both traditions in our work and worship. So let's listen to our reading for this week and then get on to the sermon. The Old Testament reading is taken from Isaiah 42, reading from verse 1. Here is my servant whom I strengthen, the one I have chosen with whom I am pleased. I have filled him with my spirit, and he will bring justice to every nation. He will not shout or raise his voice or make loud speeches in the streets. He will not break off a bent reed nor put out a flickering lamp. He will bring justice to all. He will not lose hope or courage. He will establish justice on the earth. Distant lands eagerly wait for his teaching. God created the heavens and stretched them out. He fashioned the earth and all that lives there. He gave life and breath to all its people. And now the Lord God says to his servant, I, the Lord, have called you and given you power to see that justice is done on earth. Through you I will make a covenant with all peoples. Through you I will bring light to the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind and set free those who sit in dark prisons. I alone am the Lord your God. No other God may share my glory. I will not let idols share my praise. The things I have predicted have now come true. Now I will tell you of new things, even before they begin to happen. The New Testament reading is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, the baptism of Jesus. At that time, Jesus arrived from Galilee and came to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to make him change his mind. I ought to be baptized by you, John said, and yet you have come to me. But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now, for in this way we shall do all that God requires. So John agreed. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. Then heaven was opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God coming down like a dove and lighting on him. Then a voice said from heaven, This is my own dear Son, with whom I am pleased. Amen. It's a... We've changed. What have we changed? Has anybody noticed what's changed this week? What's different from this week? The what? The falls. Yeah, these are different. So the purple ones are away, the blue ones are back, and that must mean that something's changed. It's the first Sunday of Epiphany. Advent and Christmas are officially over. You can take your tree down now if it's still up. Or you can wait till Candlemas on the 2nd of February if you really, really want. But most of you did that ages ago, didn't you? We're in a new season. Things have changed. It's different. It's the first Sunday in the season of Epiphany. Epiphany itself is the 6th of January, 12th night. And traditionally, that's the day that the church celebrates the visit of the wise men, the Magi, to Jesus. And so the season begins with a realization that the child that the wise men discover in a house in Bethlehem is the king that they've been looking for. That's what Epiphany means. It means a moment of sudden or great realization or revelation. A moment of sudden and great realization or revelation. An epiphany. I've spoken before about 
how the church year provides us with different lenses to look at things through, to look at the stories that we read each week. And I, I really like Epiphany as a lens because it, it prompts us to think about what is this? What does it tell us? What is that sudden or great realization or revelation that we're looking for? Because there always are these things in the story. So that for the next few weeks in the season of Epiphany, we'll be looking for these Epiphany moments. These things where something about Jesus jumps out as something we've maybe never really understood in a particular way before or, or never noticed or, or that we see for the very first time. And I hope that's at least a mildly interesting or exciting prospect for you. It is for me. One of the things I really like about preparing for worship is that every week you discover something new. Every week you look at what we've got to come ahead and you think, what on earth is that about? And then you read and listen and talk to other people and reflect on the experiences that you've had and the things that you've read and the things you've seen and all of that stuff and connections start to appear. And sometimes there are these often surprising little epiphanies. But sometimes that's a bit more difficult. Usually, like this week, when you're presented with a passage that we've all read before. The story of the baptism of Jesus comes up again and again and again. It comes up three times in the year. We read it very often. We've already read it in Lent, in Advent, sorry. This idea of John the Baptist baptizing people. We've read it before, just a few weeks ago. And we'll read it again later on in the year. And this same story appears every year on this Sunday. Every single year we read this story on this day. Matthew, Mark and Luke all have a version of it. John's Gospel doesn't, but he still talks about John the Baptist. So whatever it is about what's going on here seems to be important. But what all three accounts have in common is they're really very tentative. They don't really give any meaning to the story. Even Matthew, who, as we'll find out over the coming year, can't resist telling us what things mean, doesn't really say very much about this story. And that makes me wonder, why are they so hesitant? Why do they only really give us the bare bones of the story? Because that means we've got lots of work to do to wonder about what's going on here. And we have to be more than a little careful in that exercise not to see things that aren't there. So John the Baptist has been thundering away next to the Jordan at the edge of the wilderness about this Messiah that's going to come. This great leader that's going to come and change everything and make everything different and make everything better and restore all the things that used to be and all that kind of stuff. He's called the religious leaders a bunch of hypocrites and a brood of vipers to their face. And he's been baptizing people. He's been dunking them in the water so that they can say sorry for the wrong things that they've done. And that they can start again. Jesus is John's cousin. He's just a few months younger than John. And obviously John's well aware of who Jesus is. And I don't mean that's Jesus. He knows who he is. He understands that he's the one. Because when Jesus appears on the banks of the Jordan, he points to him and says, it's him. He's the one we've been waiting for. 
Matthew tells it this way. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And John would have prevented him saying, it's me that needs to be baptized by you and you come to me. And Jesus answers him, let it be so for now. For it's proper for us to do this and this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, they came up out of the water and suddenly the heavens opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. And that all seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? He goes, John says, are you kidding? He says, no, we have to do this because John does it, comes up, dove comes down, and a voice from heaven. All completely normal stuff. Happens every Sunday, doesn't it? None of us would be surprised if that happened at all. Jesus comes to John, and John is surprised. And he tries to talk him out of it. But he does what he's asked and baptizes Jesus. And then there's that weird bit at the end about the sky and the voice and all that stuff. But we'll come back to that in a wee minute. Jesus came from Galilee. The last time we heard of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, he was in Nazareth, which isn't in Galilee. It's much further north. So Jesus has moved. Remember, Jesus had to run away when he was a little baby to Egypt and they came back. But they couldn't stay in Bethlehem, so they went to Nazareth because it was a way out the road. And it really is a way out the road. It's one of these places, you know, it's the back end of nowhere. It's like Colburn. <laughs> Aye. Maybe Douglas, actually. It's, it's out the road. It's not near anywhere. It's not on the way to anywhere. It's just a place that's... I don't, it's one of those places that when you go there, you think, why is this here? You know how there's a reason for places to be in the place that they are? There isn't really a reason for Nazareth to exist. It's just there. It must be on the road to somewhere, but it's not particularly obvious when you get there. So he's moved. He's moved to Galilee. Galilee's much busier. Galilee's on the sea, and people transport things backwards and forwards across the lake, and they move up and down, going from Egypt all the way up to Lebanon. And so it's a kind of through place. It really is on the way to somewhere and that's where Jesus is and he goes from there he follows the river that runs into the sea and finds John on the edge of the wilderness and asks John to baptize him and John doesn't want to do it because John knows who Jesus is remember he's been standing there telling people about this guy that's going to come someone whose sandals he wouldn't even be fit to untie someone who's much greater than him Jesus, the one who's going to put everything right, the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for for thousands of years. And now he's here and he's asking John to baptize him. That's not what's supposed to happen. John's told everybody that Jesus is going to come in power and glory and sweep away the Romans and change everything and it's all going to happen with a click of somebody's fingers. And when you think of Jesus, do you think of somebody that's law-abiding? Someone who follows the rules. I'm not sure that's a phrase that springs to mind 
when we think about Jesus. It doesn't quite ring true, does it? I mean, the rules are important for him, and, but sometimes he likes to, to bend the rules. Sometimes he likes to completely reinvent the rules. And he was forever getting into trouble because of the rules, because he healed people on the Sabbath, or he spoke to women that he wasn't supposed to, or he touched people who were unclean, or he ate with outsiders and welcomed strangers. And yet here he is at baptism following the rules, right at the beginning. I can't do this, says John. This is what needs to happen. What needs to happen, says Jesus. Just do it, and John does. But why? Why does it need to happen? This moment should raise at least a few questions for us. Questions like, if baptism's for the repentance of sins, does that mean that Jesus had sinned? It's a good question, isn't it? If that's what John's been saying, come and be baptized for the repentance of sins, does that mean that Jesus has sinned? Well, we don't know. It doesn't tell us anywhere. It's a good question. Jesus tells John that it has to happen to fulfill all righteousness. And that's one of those strange old-fashioned words that we keep coming up against, don't we? Righteousness. We don't use it in the same way anymore. Righteousness is an important word in the story because it opens the whole thing up. Righteousness means being in right relationship with others. Being in right relationship. It's at the heart of the Jewish law. Everything that happens revolves around this idea of righteousness, being in right relationship. It's what the Ten Commandments are all about. So if you don't steal or lie or cheat or kill, then you'll be in right relationship with your neighbor. Now, obviously, those are the minimum requirements. Yeah? And there's loads of other rules that help us to be in right relationship with each other. Lots of laws. Laws that Jesus comes back to again and again and again. Particularly one that says we should love one another. So not the minimum requirement, like the maximum requirement seems to be important to Jesus. Because righteousness is a way of living. It's the thing that Jesus came to show us how to do. That you can live properly. That you can live in right relationship with everyone. It's possible. And he says that's why his baptism needs to happen. Needs to happen. It needs to happen for Jesus to be completely at one with us. The other people that were baptized there by John that day were baptized as a sign of their willingness to turn their lives around, to be changed, to be different, to start again, to let God take control, to try and restore some of that righteousness. For Jesus, it's a sign of his willingness to go into the depths for our sake. There's a huge power dynamic at play here, isn't there? John spent ages telling Jesus, uh, people that Jesus are, is greater than him. And yet, here is Jesus submitting to John, submitting to his ministry, valuing what he's already done. Not saying, oh, thanks very much, but I'll take over now. He values all that John has done and said, doesn't he? 
It's the ultimate validation. You were sent by God to be the messenger. Well done. Thank you. And if it's good enough for these people lined up on the bank, then it's good enough for me. Because that's what Jesus' mission is all about, isn't it? It's a sign of his readiness to carry all of our mistakes, all of our faults, all of our misdemeanors and imperfections to wipe the slate clean for us so that we can begin again. And even here, when he's keeping the rules, he's breaking them by taking our guilt and our wrongdoing and making it all right. And when Jesus has been baptized, he comes up out of the water and suddenly the heavens open and he sees the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. John's message was true. There will come one who will baptize not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And here he is, standing before you. And that's John's epiphany. Here he is, standing before you. And a voice from heaven says, This is my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. Righteousness has been fulfilled. They've done the right thing. And God is pleased. Alice McKenzie suggests that this is a demonstration of Jesus' faith in action. Jesus knows who he is. He was the Messiah before he went into the water and he was the Messiah when he came out of the water. This is for us, not for him. It's a revelation of his true identity so that the people around him can know who he is. But it's also about Jesus living into his own role, his own commission. This is the start for Jesus. This is the point at which it all really begins. This is a moment of change. This is where he sets out on his journey. And it's such a public event, isn't it? There's no going back. Can't change his mind. It's hugely symbolic because baptism is about being born again, about accepting and confirming a new identity. The same is true for our baptism. Whether we were infants or adults, it's about recognizing what we've always known, that we're all children of God, that God loves us all. Coming for baptism is our realization of that and a demonstration that we're willing to live into that relationship, into righteousness, right relationship with God and with each other. Baptism is about our identity. It's about who we are. John wasn't presented with Jesus in the way that he thought he was going to be. His identity was different. He wasn't a warrior king. Instead, Jesus comes in humility as a servant, willing to submit to John, to validate the work of the messenger, to enter into our experience so that we can be part of his in our baptism, we're joined into the mission of God. Even if, like John the Baptist, it's not really what we were expecting. And Jesus gives us a model for that mission right at the start of his humility and service 
and right relationship. And we are called to do likewise. At the end of Matthew's gospel, he tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. But it's for us to do. Jesus gives us a pattern of mission and ministry and asks us to claim that identity and to join in with the mission of God. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, questions or thoughts about this week's sermon, then please do get in touch. We create this podcast at anchor.fm where you can leave us a voice message. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We post the audio of the whole service each week on our website. There are details of all of this in the show notes. If you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship every Sunday at 11am. We'd love to see you.